Good evening, or good afternoon, or good morning, Blurtsters. Wherever you are, you're about to listen to a live interview with Maria Teflaga, political scientist, Australian National University. She is a lecturer and professor. Politics is her expertise, and we have her on the line with us today. Good afternoon, I should say. Maria. I can't take it anymore! Good afternoon, good evening, good day, and good morning, Blurtsters, wherever you are around the world. You are listening to the new blurt. Good evening, Maria. Um, how are you going? I'm very well. And how are you? Hi, Maria. Hello, Wendy. Yeah, no, look, doing really well over here, but uh, really interested in quite a few, maybe across. Um, uh, what we were talking about, I think, last time when you were on, we were we were talking about the voice. We're still sort of talking about the voice of Parliament. Um, I know the polls aren't looking as good as people like us who are yes voters on this uh, potty would want them to be. But um, are you sort of getting any uh, feeling from a political standpoint where we might end up and um, where it needs to go from? Oh, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, no, the polls the polls aren't encouraging. Um, I think the, the last polls I really looked at closely were the ones done by Ascension, uh, which was, I think, about two weeks ago. And um, they also coupled it with a, a qualitative component. Um, so that was quite quite an interesting exercise. And those were sort of showing that um, the hard no's were sitting around 38% and the hard yeses were sitting around 31 and that there was um, about 10% of people who were undecided and the rest sort of fell into a, a soft or high, uh, sorry, a soft yes or no. Yeah. So that, that's actually not, that's not good. Um, and I think Victoria is the only state that is sort of recording a yes vote. So this is a big decline from uh, last year where it, uh, a majority around of around 65% of Australians were uh, interested in, in favour, sorry, of, of a yes position. Um, however, uh, what was some of the kind of interesting out of some of those qualitative results out of the essential report was that um, the, the biggest gains were probably to be made amongst progressive no's. Um, so it's quite difficult to persuade voters who have a fixed view that the voice is dangerous, um, that it's not, but you might be more successful in persuading people who don't think the voice will be effective, that it can be effective. Um, so uh, look, I also do think that there is still um, a fair amount of time to go uh, in this process and the campaign itself might be quite critical in the sense that a lot of people are not engaged with this topic at all because it is uh, just like most like I mean one of the problems with the the voice campaign um, and it's a structural issue is that um, unlike uh, gay Australians um, there are just fewer Indigenous people people just know or are less, far less likely to know an Indigenous person. Mm. No, um, that's so true. A gay person, right? And so that sort of humanising dimension yeah. mm. um, is not yeah. kind of there at the same level. And there's, uh, you know, decades of really ugly rhetoric around Indigenous Australians. And that's kind of what we're seeing being turbocharged in the sort of um, subterranean um, and not even subterranean kind of campaign for no, right, you know. No, it's pretty overt now, isn't it? It is. Yeah, yeah. And I I saw just yesterday that Meta has basically said that, like, all of these horrible racist memes and jokes that are being circulated on Facebook meet their community standards, right? And, <laughs> and yeah, exactly. Wow. I mean, I mean, one of these memes was terrible. It was like, your land, 
and it was a picture of an Indigenous man who's like liquor land. Like, you know, like that's just racist. Oh, seriously? Yeah, oh. yeah, exactly. And But that met community standards according to um, Meta, which runs Facebook and, and yeah. Instagram. Um, yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, you know, like this is um, this is a really difficult asymmetric kind of problem. Um, and, um, and whilst like the Yes campaign does have um, like uh, I think it's now 25,000 volunteers um, on the ground and the ground game I'm sure will be really important. Um, they actually need more than that. Like that's sort yeah. of what an election campaign does. So, you know, I guess, you know, if you are concerned about where the voice is tracking, go go on the website and volunteer. You know, if you if you don't have yeah. time to volunteer, give money. They, they clearly, I think they are behind in, their, in, in what they need for their uh, fundraising. Um, right. So, um, uh, don't be a bystander, basically. Yeah, exactly. I'm, no, I'm, well, I'm a bit concerned with people who are disinterested because I was actually talking to a colleague last night and we got onto the topic of the yes and no vote and he hasn't even thought about it. So he yeah. doesn't know which way to go yet. Um, Did you so explain to him which way to go? I didn't want to push him on which way. I told him my, my view, but I told him that I will give him some information so he can make an informed decision because I don't want to push it on him. No, and no I think really that's fair enough. Him. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that once I give him the info, he'll, he'll start considering it and then obviously word spreads and he'll start talking to other people. So I think they're the people that we need to target as well. well, well that's right. Well, back, to, back to what you were saying, Maria. I mean, I just volunteered, uh, I think it was only a week ago, and I'm going to volunteer again this weekend. And um, the thing that I really noticed was exactly as you said, lack of engagement, like the amount of people mm. that I spoke to that didn't even know what the voice was. And and it's sort of, I suppose it sort of shines a light on the echo chamber to a certain extent that we must live in because I, I just, I really was just completely um, flabbergasted that I understand they might not know which way they want to vote or whatever. I was just so surprised at how many people didn't even know about it, hadn't even heard about mm. it. Yeah. 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 I mean, on one level, that is surprising, but on another, it's it's not. And it is also why this data is likely to be quite right. And also, I mean, a lot of these state-based polls are based off pretty small numbers as well. Mm. So, yeah. I mean, I I wouldn't say it's time to give up hope, but I guess you know, if you feel passionately about this, then yeah, you should you should you should volunteer because it's um you know um like I mean, we know from the literature that um seeing members of the community, ordinary members of the community mm. supporting something it is really actually quite persuasive for people mm. who, um, you know, are not necessarily aware of what the issue kind of is and who kind of need information um, to sort of help them to work out what to do. And, and I mean, like, given the particularly ugly um, public commentary mm. and that explicitly racist commentary that has come out from the CPAC conference, um, you know, like that, that that has that will have an impact for certain demographics, but look, the data is pretty clear as well. Like the older older the older you are, the less likely you are to be supportive of the voice, and that might be because of inherent conservatism, or it might be as the result of you know longstanding attitudes. You know, I don't actually have the data to sort of um, say, but yeah, I mean, it is it is actually like a fairly abstract concept, right, um, the voice. Um, it is a constitutional question. We haven't really – we haven't been talking about our constitution apart from – was it uh, Section 44? Yeah. 
Um, apart from Section 44, oh, yeah. right? Yeah, whether well, you're 20... a, a national law. A national, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, they effectively have not been having discussions around the Constitution uh, for 25 years, whereas, mm. you know, I mean, referendums were put, like, you know, before the Republic referendum, I think nearly every Prime Minister had lost a referendum on tra- trying to change yeah. the Constitution, yeah. except for perhaps Keating. I don't, I don't think he ever put one yeah, forward. Okay. But, you know, that, that's not uncommon. Um, and, and it is also an issue around Indigenous affairs and and a lot of people you know for a lot of people that is not that is just nowhere near their everyday lives no no that is true and and maybe we should bring back um uh learning about the constitution in high school or, or primary school because i'm pretty sure it's there i'm sure it's I, just, I learned you know, a little bit about it when i was in primary school or high yeah, school back yeah. in the day but i don't think my kids have ever come across that yeah, I mean, I mean, I'd be, I'd be surprised if they didn't learn something about it. You know, like, I mean, mm. don't they have to study federation or or, or something like that? No, um, no, I don't think they, no, they don't. don't. I don't think no, they I don't think so. Do. Outrageous! No, I know. I know. No, we agree. We totally. <laughs> no. my, my, my daughter's uh, twenty years old, and she came to me the other day, and you wanted me to explain. Yeah. And you know, and we we talk about it openly all the time with my partner and myself because we sort of know the nuance behind it you know we've read a lot of his etc cetera, etc cetera. and so well like we've got a 20 year old that's still asking us and i'm like Ooh. what did you as you just said what did, yeah. what did you learn i mean <laughs> why are you not hearing this at university what the hell is going yeah. on um, yeah well, well yeah i mean i mean some of that might be related to to what degree program you're doing but you know i mean that actually is an issue for universities like um like most australian universities are trying to actively respond to including indigenous knowledges in mm-hmm. their curricula right yeah, um yeah. but you know like um on one level there's simply a labor shortage um and so actually what it requires is actually what it requires of all of us is to actually do some reading and to spend some time and to invest some energy in in kind of learning about this issue and you know like look the strength of the voice proposal is um, probably not a help in some ways for the campaign like the fact that the voice proposal is actually kind of um it has the voice proposal is modest right like you know um essentially yeah. yeah yeah but it has like a lot of great australian innovations it has a lot of radical potential because you know it's ultimately grounded in what a parliament may choose to conceive of a voice and what to do with a voice and it's entirely conceivable that in a century's time the voice to parliament might be something that we could not imagine and it could be something quite profound or, or, or mm. radically kind of powerful or it could remain what effectively it is envisaged of right now as mm. a permanent committee that cannot be shut down when it starts saying things the government doesn't want to hear and importantly it's a it's a voice to parliament and the executive whereas at the moment you know all of those senate committees are voices to parliament and governments do routinely ignore those voices but you know like that's true but also there are many things that have changed as a result of parliamentary committees and parliamentary voice and parliamentary scrutiny you know like I guess for those people out there who are skeptical about whether or not the voice can kind of do anything like uh it's the same for parliament, right? Like people don't always think parliament is very effective or the committee system is very effective. Mm. But imagine what the place would be like without them, you know? Yeah. Um, oh, it's and, just the anarchy. Well, yeah, and and, yeah. And, 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 and and a lot of corruption, like to be yeah. frank, you know, the, yeah. the, Senate, the, the Senate and the rise of the system has actually really altered 
the way government works and has made it more responsive and more accountable, even if the executive is always looking for ways to not Get have around to it. engage. Yeah, 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 you know, but it's about creating that tension. And one of the problems around Indigenous voices in the past is that they have been sort of subject to the, like, the whims of, of political elites and political actors. Um, and this actually, by grounding it in Parliament, that's a far more pluralistic set of actors who decide oh. on what the voice has to look like, right? Um, and so it's actually far less likely that it can be narrowed in a way that is unhelpful. It's a permanent accountability function. It's a group of people who are actually representatives and delegates of a particular constituency that really has particular pressing needs and they don't have to actually weigh that against other um act like sorry I'm, I'm being a bit a bit oblique but you know like there's this argument like we've got all these indigenous politicians in the parliament blah 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 oh, yeah, yeah that's yeah, yeah. true well, yeah. but they yeah. they have they have to be responsive to a political party as well they have Ooh. to operate within that set of institutional parameters whereas someone elected under the aegis of the voice yes. is there to do one job and that is yeah. to represent their, their communities, communities without exactly right. worrying about the Labor Party yeah. or the Liberal yeah. Party or the Greens yeah. or, or whatever. The and that, or the, exactly. Yeah. And that's powerful, you know. Well, um, well that's yeah. why when people say that, you know, this is a political de decision, I always say, no, it's not. It's a social issue. It's got nothing to mm. do with politics. I mean, the only one, the only reason it does is Dutton turned it into a political issue because he thinks this is his way of getting back in. That's all this is. He's using 3% of the community to try to get elected in 2025 or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I think there was that re the reporting a few weeks ago um, from Phil Corey, which sort of, um, which was actually pretty brutal in in in, um, in its statement, you know, that that, um, that this is their, this is how they think they can, I guess, weaken the Prime Minister uh, to sort of launch their re-election campaign. Um, and, mm. I mean, if we think about the context in which this decision was made, like, um, actually, let's take one step back further. Like, I don't think when Albanese announced that he would be pursuing the voice mm. on election night that he actually envisaged that the coalition would be a no and would mm. be a hard and obstructionist and damaging no disinformed mm. misinformed yeah that's right actively actively yeah. um yeah. i'm trying to think of the right word but you know actively i mean they're basically making stuff up every week um yeah. whatever yeah, the word that is i can't think of the right yeah. word um bullshit you know. <laughs> i don't think that's a technical term though we fact-checked both pamphlets on this show a few yeah. weeks ago and I had a fantastic little uh, sting that uh, from a little four-year-old that uh, said bullshit, which was really good actually. And um, <laughs> it uh, it came up a that lot of times when yeah. doing the no pamphlet. I can tell you that. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. And I, I mean, I guess that's again another one of the sort of structural kind of issues. But if we, if we recall about like when the uh, the coalition basically moved to the no camp, it was kind of right after the Aston by-election. Like it was a couple of days. So oh, yeah. you know, like this. I mean, it's it's it, look, it's not clear exactly which way um, uh, Dutton and his shadow cabinet would have uh, gone. But before the Aston by-election, it, it looked more fluid, and it looked it looked far more likely that they they would just be a uh, an unhelpful yes or a lukewarm yes. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. The fact that they have gone 
no has bound like you know most of the moderates that actually remain in the liberal party like a lot of them are actually in the shadow cabinet because there are so few of them so it's really only like uh julian lisa who quit richard archer and and andrew bragg um who who are out there actually um putting forward a a liberal case for yeah yeah and and that would have been a big difference to the dynamic you know Oh, it's 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 phenomenal. I mean, I, we could we could get on to why Bridget Archer is even in that party and not running as a dependent, but we don't have time to do that. Um, <laughs> I wanted I wanted to just come back because you mentioned before you talked about uh, CPAC Australia, and I'm not sure if all, uh, a listener would know what CPAC Australia. I just wanted maybe if you give us a bit of an idea of what what that is and why that has anything to do with the voice or our parliament. Yeah, so so from what I understand, CPAC is. Um, um, initially, originally an American um, uh, a, a political conference organization started in the 70s um, and, and has sort of um, been one of the ways that the Conservative Democratic Union, which is um, kind of like, um, you know how there's the ILO, the International Labor Organization, lots oh, yeah. of laborist parties are attached to that, right? And they yeah. basically adv- adv- advocate for workers and unions and, and all of that worldwide. So the, the Conservative Democratic Union is sort of the equivalent of that. It's just that it has, I would say, less infrastructure because um, uh, right-wing interests are not kind of uh, formalised in the same way that left-wing interests are via unions, right? Mm, like there's just yeah, not okay. exactly there's no the, not equivalent of the labour movement um, yeah. as as kind of constituted by unions. So it's basically sort of like an ideas sharing forum and you know a networking thing. And there's lots of kinds of things that that exist around the world. Some of them are really benign. Like so, for example, like Commonwealth parliamentarians have an association. They go along and they share ideas about being ex-British colonies with British Westminster-style parliaments, all of that kind of stuff. And so, you know, this is one of those kinds of um, vehicles. And I think CPAC in Australia has been operating for, I don't know, five or six years. Um, But um, it's sort of like a, well, it's kind of like a, it's basically like a political conference and and it's there to kind of garner um, attention. And so it's not surprising, actually, that Mm. there's always controversial statements made that are... um, you know, um, almost certainly there to attach uh, to attract media attention and to and to spark outrage, uh, which they have done so successfully. Um, again, um, you they, know. Yeah. they have they have indeed. Yeah. We'll get onto that in a in a second, Maria. But what I was going to say is the timeline's wonderful, isn't it? Um, you said five or six years, and that would put us pretty close to when Trump started as president. Yeah, so. that's good. Point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't actually I don't actually know enough about the origins to know if. Um, like if it is a direct kind of um, thing, but, um, you know, um, uh, uh, it's not unusual for, um, for like, I guess, Americans to sponsor uh, political um, affiliates um, around the world. They might do that in mm. many different ways. One might be yeah. through conferences like this. Other might yeah. be through basically organising like political um, technique exchanges, that kind mm. of, of of stuff. I mean, it might kind of interest you to know that um, in general, Australians are seen as really great campaigners in the UK, um, and a lot of Australians will go to the UK to to basically teach uh, the British 
more about campaigning. They obviously get a lot from the US. And and the reason for that is is that we just have so many more elections. Like oh, we have two-year so, terms, we have state governments. The US is the same. They have two-year terms and six-year terms and 50 different um, state oh, legislatures, yeah, right? Yeah, and U- so US it's just the innovation, yeah. right? Whereas yeah, in the UK, yeah. they have a council election, they have national elections, and they're like every five years. And that's just it. Like practice. Oh, right. Yeah. Well, yeah. well, well I have look, no idea. Yeah. They really are. I mean, they really are conservative. Um, in, in I mean, conservative is the is the right term, but you can't really use that for. I mean, it's called the political uh, conservative uh, political action. Com. There's nothing conservative at all um, about these guys. They're so completely right wing. I mean, I think some of the people that turned up there were like Tony Abbott. I think Pauline Hanson was there. I mean, oh, actually, did they have anyone from overseas attend this one? Yeah, I I, yeah, I'm not sure, but it was a pretty dodgy um, comedian um, that I heard some horrible. As you you were talking about racist tropes, there was yeah, yeah, some, yeah, okay. really, yeah. yeah he really made horrible. some really um, horrible remarks about closing the gap, and I think uh, was it, yeah. was it Gary Johns' um, terrible remarks about um, welcomes to country, like just just yeah. horrible racist stuff. Yeah, you yeah. Know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it was, it was. So, but, but we will move on from there. Uh, Wincy, you want yeah, to talk? Yeah, yeah. I was, was going to um, move on to the next bit, which was um, sort of follows on from gatherings and things like that. Uh, what what are citizens' assemblies and how do they benefit um, society, I guess? Yeah, so citizens' assemblies are typically um, like a loose definition for some form of um, – like non-political party mediated representation um so they they're typically supposed to be people who are not necessarily affiliated with a political party um and the most usual way that people are selected for a citizens assembly is through sortition which is a form of random sampling just imagine jury duty but instead of sitting on a jury you sit on um a deliberative body Oh, yeah, right. citizens' assembly, right? Yeah. yeah so, okay, um, yeah. and and so for for you know for your listeners that were interested in those um, constitutional changes in Ireland around abortion mm. and uh, gay rights, they were the product of a, of 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 us these deliberative citizens' assembly style things. And in the Irish case, um, yeah, these are really well these, these were really well run processes where essentially what what happened was is that they. They were given a specific question. I think in the first instance it was abortion. And that was because the political system was simply unable to resolve this. Like, um, you know, the, 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 the main, that's basically two big parties in Ireland, a, a couple more now, but um, they, you know, they couldn't, they just couldn't get past the sort of the way interests are organised within those parties and, and how that links to the Catholic Church and how mm. that links to voter perceptions about what yeah. is actually right. acceptable, right? What, what we can even discuss and put on the table. And you can see examples of that in Australian politics um, all the time, right? Like, you mm. know, can we really get rid of the stage three catch, catch tax cuts? You know, like chivalrous, basically, yeah. you know. Um, yes, like, yes. Yes, they can. Yeah, exactly. Native hearing <laughs> and so on and so forth. You know, they're not the best example because they have been contentious lately. But you know, I I can't think of another one right now. Um, no, no, I understand yeah. that. But I've I've heard that I've heard it been um, talked about in in a, a quite deliberative um, uh, sort of positive um, process for for something to be happening in Parliament. I, I've heard it on quite a few. Uh, podcast and read it in some articles they keep talking about a citizens assembly so that's why i suppose i've been particularly uh interested in in what they actually want to start what are they trying to change that yeah 
Mm. Yeah, I yeah, guess yeah. Every, I guess every assembly is different. They have their own agenda or the group of people decide, we'll talk about this. And then once it's discussed, they move on to another one. Is that sort of how Well, how yeah, so the, the biggest, so in typically they are set up as specific uh, bodies to deal with a specific issue. And then like experts are drawn in and a lot of cares are made and attention given to making sure that you know, the full spectrum of positions are fully represented and weighted. They also tend to allow deliberation time, i.e. you meet on a, you meet one weekend and then you meet a month later and then you meet Ooh. a month later. So people have time to think and digest. Yeah. And, wow. and the, the idea is actually to try to change a cohort within that group's mind on an issue by by presenting them information in good faith. So it's not necessarily a persuasive exercise. It's an information-based exercise. And that's sort of what happened with the – because, I mean, in Ireland, I think abortion support was either – the public was either close to 50-50 or it might be a majority against, right? Yeah. But a, a portion of the population was basically persuaded by this process and it was such a big deal and such a big issue in Ireland that it was like the kind of thing that people paid a lot of to. Mm. Um, and so, you know, this has been tried in Australia at the local government level most typically. Um, I think there is one in, in, in Victoria, but, you know, like issues around like issues that cause problems all the time around like parking or planning or, or, mm. or whatever. Yeah. Um, and there have been other sort of deliberative experiments. Like, so there's one that's being, that was actually, yeah, currently underway in Canberra around climate change, I think. Um, okay. And ah, the, the, right, the independently, so the non-factional um, Alicia Payne, she's a mm -hmm. non-faction member of Labor, um, yeah. has basically committed to participating in this, deliberative forum mm. and then taking whatever like outcome that the Canberra based yep. group decides on to her party room, which right. is pretty okay. much the most that um, someone in a political party can probably realistically commit to. Like, yeah, she can't bind Labor, yeah. right? Yeah. She's yeah. not a minister. Yeah. Um, yeah. And also like, whoa, the implications for that and the Labor Party and the way the pledge works, just oh, mind-blowing. Mm. Um, um, and, and, and the idea is I think that group um, uh, oh, bugger, I've forgotten the name. Really bad. They, they are. I think they also are either looking for a liberal or have found one, and they're working on the what question they'll work on and right. in that local area, yeah, sort of under the same um, model. And the the idea is the reason why citizens assemblies are considered desirable is um, basically because people are not always convinced that that parliament is doing a good job of. Mm representing everyday citizens yep. and look on one level that's true um like if you just look at the we we know a lot about who politicians are compared to who they used to be and they are more professional like they mm. you know they're just less likely to be a train driver for example yeah. you know An yeah. or something yeah mm. exactly and yeah. um and so um and they are more you know they're just they're just more likely to come from the middle class they're more likely to have gone to university like and so um that's going to shape the world view and i think it's sort of why someone like jackie, jackie lambie um is so um so has such cut through mm -hmm. uh, it's not just the way she talks it's also the substance of what she says like sometimes she is the only person 
speaking to something um, with lived experience, you know. Yeah, that was um, my, my comment. Yeah, she's got yeah, the lived experience. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah, which is, you know, yeah, which is not, I mean, like, I mean, they have, like, for example, there was a, an ex-lib um, uh, from WA, I mean, who had been homeless. I'm not sure he had made a big deal of it, like, as in rhetorically, um, mm. you know. Um, so it's it's not, it's, it's not true to say that there's, like, a, you know, there's a political class and, you know, they're all evil or anything like that. Mm. But that's sort of, I guess, um, like one of the reasons why citizens' assemblies are seen as attractive because parliaments are not doing a very good job of, of being representative and that's because mm. parties are not doing a very good job of recruiting broadly. And Correct. it's a recognition that parties are unlikely to regain that capacity because of the way society has changed mm. and the way parties have changed. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's a bit like a, a political TEDx I still think it's better to think of it as jury duty, jury you know, duty. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you are sort of randomly selected yeah. from the yeah. population, um, asked to sort of serve um, in good faith. Mm. Uh, yeah, because it's you know like a certain type of person wants to go to TEDx. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yes, no, yeah. absolutely. Well, what I I was really uh, interested um, in is uh, the one nation vote. The one nation vote in this um, uh, country, I think, is like three or four percent or something. How on earth, with a vote as low as almost the percentage of Indigenous in this country? How can they have a representative in Parliament anywhere? I don't get it. I don't understand. How is it possible? What have we done to allow this? The voting system concentration, right? So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, um, look, look, I mean, this is the product of um, a proportional representation system. And so there's lots of people out there who would like um, Australia in the lower house, for example, to adopt a proportional uh, representation system. And, and, um, and you know, you know what? You would probably get far better representation for the Greens in the lower house, but you mm. also get a UAP person and you'll get a One Nation person, right? Yeah. That's but how? The... I, I don't get it. How? Who? So, who so if you think about small? it, like they are elected though, but like so if you think about the Senate uh, as an example, it's state-based constituency. It's yeah. a list-based system, and it's a quota. Yeah. So, so even you, say you get you know five percent of the primary. Um, vote, you know, that's getting you quite a long way towards a quota. Then there's also like there's like millions of those crazy little parties like the marijuana party and the pirate party, mm, you know, blah, yeah. blah, blah. So they all get slowly eliminated and a portion of those votes Goes will go to, to One Nation yeah. and eventually One Nation will clock over to 14% if it's a double disillusion election, which is when Pauline and, yeah, and it, yeah no, that happened earlier. Um, oh, oh, I've forgotten her, Malcolm Roberts, they got uh, two right. that time. Yeah. That's because the quota was 7%. Right, and one was from Queensland, and one was from New South Wales. Seven percent is so much more achievable. So it's so when you've got like a single constituency, which is what the Senate is, it's a single constituency that is divided up by proportionality, not strict proportionality, but a type of proportionality. Therefore, you don't need geographical concentration. Right, so and, it's almost a gerrymander. That's sort of the no, way. No, no, it's not. It's just no, no, no. That's the wrong <laughs> lesson to draw from this. No, no, it's it's just a different way of thinking about representation. And if you think about it, actually, this is far more representative than mm -hmm. what we do in the lower house. You know, because there's just let's just throw out numbers. Here. Like there might be three percent of the population that really wants to legalize weed and uh, 4% of the population that wants to vote for Port Wallin Hansen, they exist. Pauline Hansen has name recognition and that is why, that is actually the other reason why she is able to 
get more votes. There's no accident the party's called Pauline Hanson's One Nation. Why it has been so much more successful than the Liberal Democrats or Australian Conservatives or Mm. a bunch of other right-wing, Family First. UAP. UAP, yeah, which is still a hilarious name. Like for those, most people would not know this, but the UAP was the party that predated the Liberal Party and this party folded um, in part because it lost its majority on floor the House yeah. of Representatives, but yeah. it collapsed because it was seen to be in the sort of um, grip of the the moneyed men of Melbourne, as it was known as the time, uh, right? The bankers, uh, as the depression, of course, right? And so it's actually deep, I, I'm deep irony, which I think Clive Palmer is aware of. He would then <laughs> rename his party the United Australia Party, as he is a plutocrat <laughs> determined to spend his money influencing Australian elections. Yeah. So yeah, um, so there's some nerd trivia for you. But yeah, no, it's a function of the electoral um, system. So um, yeah, if you're going to have proportionality, then you're going to have a wider spectrum of views. Um, the lower house is kind of geared towards effectively efficient. It aggregates mm. votes into into two and a bit blocks. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So um, we were speaking, I think, last time regarding the Integrity uh, Commission that is starting up uh, at the time. Mm-hmm. It's yep. now, I, be, I believe, started. Uh, how are we going? What, where are we with integrity? Do we have uh, many cases for them to look at at the moment? Uh, what's the priority one? Yeah, I don't, actually don't think that the they have announced any investigations. I, I imagine, I mean, I know like on like, you know, day one or two, they, they received like 60 public submissions, um, which I think they were a little bit alarmed about um, in a mm. way because they're, they're worried about the perception of politicisation and there was a bit of political argy-bargy between the two major parties which I think the Prime Minister rightly tried to sort of pour some cool water on. Like, you know, we really should not get into the business of basically referring each other to the knack um, mm. because it would just become the thing you do, you know. The US, um, that's what that's what it will become, the US. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, 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 yeah. And, and the um, commissioner um, whose name escapes me um, has um, come out and, and sort of said, um, oh, I think we're perfectly um, capable of... Um, of, of working out our own. So, you know, I mean, I think it will be actually interesting to see what they pick as their first case. And it, it may actually be something that is quite a bit more benign and, 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 and like technical because they, they might want to be seen to be um, fair and impartial. But yeah. the other thing that is kind That's of going on in this space is um, there's a sort of bill before the parliament, which is supposed to be like in part a response to the, the, the sort of RoboDebt Royal Commission and the other kinds of scandals that had happened, like the sports rorts and the community health one and mm. the uh, there was more, uh, the multiple ministries. Oh, uh, yes, of course. Yes, uh, that the, could the, be possible for you. Yeah. Well, the, so the, the issue, actually, that's good that you raised the car park one because it's actually an important distinction. So the multiple ministries, RoboDebt, uh, sports rorts and community health, whatever that one was called, they all actually had problem around legal, the provision of legal advice, the, the mm. bureaucracy failing to administer or alert or act upon administrative advice. The car park one is just regular old pork. It's crap, right, but it's yeah. not actually, um, it's not pointing to um, like a serious crisis in the public service doing its job of upholding the rule of law. Law, yeah, yeah. yeah. When you yeah. put it like that, that's actually yeah. really scary. Yeah, yeah. And yeah I no, mean, it's yeah. very scary. 
And I mean, some of the things, like some of the weeds things around the robo debt stuff, like we should probably escaped um, public scrutiny was that like, uh, so one of the things that the department was doing was like not appealing any administrative tribunal ruling that said this was an illegal scheme. So by appealing it, it would then escalate to the next level of, it basically become a public document. So they would let anything that the Administrative Tribunal Commission said had been a legal slide and they would let that debt go. And then when the cases started going to the federal court, um, the department would basically re-examine or would re-examine that person's case and decide that their debt was zero. So the court would be like, well, why am I looking at this? It's, it's zero. And so the reason why that case that eventually did make it to the court was um actually got there and therefore became a matter of public record was because it was actually over the way that money had been repaid in that case has it was garnished from her tax return or her taxes by the ATO and even though that money had all been refunded there was the question of the interest owed to her um on the money that she didn't get to use and so that that is actually what that case turned on so so it's it was not just that the department like like said something was illegal and then said that it was not illegal by changing some names and parameters um you know um it was that they 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 misled the ombudsman who then led a inquiry into the robo debt scheme in 2016 they um, we're looking, instead of taking the administrative tribunal's rulings as a warning flag of like great risk to the Commonwealth, they were engaging in potential illegal activities. They found ways to pretend they didn't know it was there, right, mm. effectively. And then they, um, try, like basically their response to all legal proceedings was to find ways to never see it, see the light of day, right? So you can kind of see that this is actually... The mother like, of all cover-ups. Yes, oh, and that and that at each each stage, there is actually a failure to uh, to be res- like to apply law and to actually be responsive um, to to law, you know. And this bill before the parliament, um, which is supposed to start like addressing some of these things, basically doesn't address any of the kind of core problems around why robo debt occurred. Right, like there's some like. It's it's basically fluff, um, and the government has said that well, this is just the first stage of um, you know our response to this. But it's not clear what they intend to do more. And if this is it, then actually they haven't meaningfully changed any of the incentive structures that have allowed for that. Like you know they're, they're inserting kind of like meaning, meaningless things like we should have um, you know we should have all public servants be responsible for stewardship of the public service values when really what is needed is in some cases there actually needs to be a reinsertion of clear rules and guidelines about what information must be recorded and where and you know mm. we need to we need to rethink the role of political staff like they actually need to be brought into the accountability framework um yeah. you know like yeah it's just uh, yeah i mean look honestly we could we could and i know you <laughs> go, go, go on about this for hours because definitely it's uh, such a hot topic it is yeah. a hot topic, and it, and it is so yeah. complex, and it has destroyed so many uh, people's lives. But with that, we will say thank you so much for being with us, Maria. My it's pleasure. Um, delightful and insightful. Always, Always learn stuff. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. We really, really appreciate your time, and uh, we thanks very much. 
and we'll uh, keep uh, listening to you on Democracy Sausage, everyone. That's where yeah. you can hear Maria very often. Ah, wonderful. Thanks, guys. All right. Thanks again. See you later. Right. Thank you so much. Bye. Take care. The new blurb is brought to you by Wency and Kickstarter, usually on a Tuesday evening. You can catch us on all the socials, as they say, the Blurt YouTube channel. We have a Twitter Blurt handle, and there is a Blurt Star Facebook page as well. So, if you're interested in getting getting in touch, it's uh, blurtstar at gmail.com, and we will get back to you as soon as we can if you've got any questions. Until next week, there'll be another feed coming at you. Has been a Get Off the Glass Productions, brought to you by Wincy and Kickstarter.